The following audio is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that this recording will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. We're looking this morning at Exodus uh, chapter 15 verse 22 right through to chapter 17 and verse 7. Uh, I'm just going to read uh, the, the last verses of chapter 15. So you might like to follow along with me uh, this morning as we do that together. So we're in Exodus chapter 15 and verses 22 through to 27. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water it became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, then I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. This is God's word to us today. Well, let's pray, shall we? And, uh, and just ask the Lord for his blessing to be upon our time together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for this time in your word. And we ask, Lord, that you might indeed just encourage us and challenge us through it. We pray especially, Lord, that you might uh, indeed uh, speak to us through your Holy Spirit. We pray that you might be our teacher. And, Lord, that we would have hearts and ears ready to hear and learn that which you have to say to us today. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, we've entitled this preaching series in Exodus, uh, it's called Forgetful People and Faithful God. And the passage we're looking at here in this morning, through from, from Exodus 15 through to Exodus 17, really highlights these two themes more than I think any other section does in the book of Exodus. Now, the people of Israel have witnessed, you know, the awesome power of God at work on their behalf in rescuing them from slavery in Egypt. And then, of course, you know, saving them from almost certain death there at the Red Sea from the pursuing Egyptian army. I mean, the Hebrew people had seen miracle after miracle, you know, performed by God and redeeming them and, and preserving them. And it culminates, as we saw last week in that uh, passage in Exodus, at the beginning of Exodus 15, that glorious song of praise to God, uh, celebrating his character and his mighty works on the people's behalf. Of course, you might expect that uh, having seen God work in such amazing and you know such amazing ways, that they would the, the people would be anxious and fearful of nothing. That they would be willing to to trust God and to follow Him and be obedient to Him no matter what. But however, what we see or what we expect to happen and what actually does happen are two very vastly different things. In these uh, opening chapters, uh, sorry, in these chapters in Exodus, I should say, we're going to see the people of Israel faced with, with three challenging scenarios. Uh, the first is a water source that is bitter, and we're going to see that in Exodus 15, verses 22 to 27, which we just read. Then we're going to see this lack of a uh, threat of starvation from a lack of food uh, in Exodus chapter 16. 
And then finally, again, this, uh, this uh, lack of water, which uh, again puts the people under increased uh, threat of, uh, of dying of thirst. And we'll see that in Exodus 17 verses 1 through to 7. Of course, this time in the wilderness is going to be a very telling time in the lives of the people of God. It's going to be a time of testing. It is going to, we're also going to see that it is very much a time of grumbling on their behalf. And also we're going to see it as a time of God's gracious provision. So that's how we're going to actually look at the passage and divide the, uh, this, this passage of Scripture up today under those three headings. So uh, let's uh, start by uh, looking at uh, Israel in a time of testing. You know, twice we see in these verses that God was using this time to test his people. We see that in, in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 25. And then you will see it in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 16 and verse 4. The first thing that we need to understand is that God does at times lead his people into challenging and difficult circumstances in order to test them, in order to test us. And it may be that the trials and hardships that you're facing right now are due to the express purpose of God for your life. And they are indeed designed by him to test you. Now you might ask, well, why on earth does God want to test us? Why does he test his people? Well, the word test means to uh, to prove something through trial. And we see that God often brings these trials to both, sorry, brings these trials to prove both these things, to prove the genuineness of our faith, that is our trust in him and our obedience to him, as well as God uses these times of, of trials and, and hardships in order to grow us in our faith, you know, to strengthen us in it and to bring us to that spiritual maturity that he's wanting to in Christ. Of course, as we pick up the narrative here in this, uh, in this, in this uh, section of Scripture, we find Moses leading the people of Israel away from the shores of the Red Sea and into this wilderness of Shur. And we see that in Exodus 15, verse 22. This wilderness is a very hot, dry, arid, barren place. I've got a picture behind me there of, uh, of uh, a, a, a part of uh, the wilderness uh, there on the Sinai Peninsula. And uh, it is an incredibly dry and barren place. You know, just a few trees dotted here and there, but mainly, um, you know, a lot of sand, a lot of rocks, a lot of rough and rugged terrain and very little water. You know, we're told that the people had journeyed three days into this wilderness and that they found no water. They'd come across nothing that they could drink. And three days of desert traveling, the people are starting to worry. They're starting to get a bit concerned about their water supplies either already have run out or they're starting to run out. And they're wondering where that next drink is going to come from. Of course, the situation, as I said, is is pretty desperate. But then finally, they come to this body of water. But the problem was, is that it was undrinkable. We we read in the passage that that it was bitter. And that's why it's called Mara, because the word Mara actually means bitter. And uh, we find that uh, the people are faced here with, um, you know, with this, this water source right there, but they cannot drink it. And the question is, what is going to be the people's response in this situation? Would their faith and trust hold firm in God? Well, the second test comes a little bit later on, only a few weeks, in fact, a bit uh, later. And this time the people have actually run out of food. We see that in Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 to 3. Let me read it to you. The people set out and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, 
Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And this is what the people are facing, this, uh, you know, the fact that they've got no food to eat whatsoever. And uh, we're wondering, you know, again, what are the people going to do? They're faced with this very significant threat to their lives. Of course, if we know that you know, there are two things essential to life, and that is food and water, and the other, of course, being, being shelter. And the test here in this, uh, in this wilderness area, this wilderness of, uh, of sin that it is referred to, uh, is that you know, would the people again not only trust God, but would they be willing to trust God on a daily basis? Because God was going to give them food in the, in the form of quail in the evening and manna in the morning. It's uh, kind of like a bread-like substance that came down with the dew. Uh, but he was only going to give them enough for each day. Uh, he had, they had to trust and believe that God would provide them the food that they needed for each day. And the only change with it, to this would be in relation to the Sabbath, where they would have to gather enough for two days to get them through that Sabbath day where they weren't allowed to work. And again, we've got to ask, what is the people's response going to be? Would their faith and trust in God prove true? The third test we find, although it's not specifically referred to as a test, it comes at a place called Rephidim, which Moses renames Massa or Meribah. Massa itself means testing and Meribah means quarrelling. And we see that in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 and 7 says all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim but there was no water for the people to drink and in verse 7 it says and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying is the Lord among us or not the difference here in this episode, of course, what we see is that uh, you know, as the people are, uh, are faced with, um, with no water to drink again and, and in threat of dying of thirst or in risk of dying of thirst, we see that uh, although God is using this as a test of them, they actually turn it around and actually start to test God. And uh, we, we see that the people of Israel, by their actions, actually seek to, uh, to, to, to put God to the test. And that leads us now to the second point in our uh, message this morning. We're going to see that not only is it a time of testing, but it's a time of grumbling. With each test comes the invitation or opportunity for the people to prove that they genuinely trust God to care for them and that they will obey him. Now, it's easy to say we trust God, isn't it? But the proof really comes when we're put into, in circumstances or situations that require us to do just that where it is beyond our own abilities and our own resources to actually meet the demands of the situation that we find ourselves in. Sadly, we see that here, rather than the people demonstrating a confident faith and trust in God, they instead respond with grumbling and doubt. In fact, as you read through this section of Scripture, you'll see that ten times in these verses, the we, we read that the people grumbled against Moses. And twice we, we read that the people quarrelled with Moses. You know, it doesn't take long for the people to go from singing to complaining, does it? 
No, it reminds me that, you know, we can come to church. Well, when we're able to gather as a church together there collectively in the building, we sing God's praises there on a Sunday and we confidently assert God's character and his faithfulness and his power. But then Monday comes and all of the stresses and trials of the week come, don't they? And, uh, you know, it's, it's when those, uh, those times really hit us that uh, we, you know, our, our faith really does get put to the test. And those assertions we've made on a Sunday before God actually really uh, get put through the, uh, the, the fire of, of testing. And of course, grumbling is a, is a, is a surefire way to, to, uh, to assess the character of our faith in God. Our grumbling points to the fact that our circumstances are not to our liking, that things are not working out according to how we think that they should work out. Now, our grumbling also points to the fact that we have lost faith in God and that we doubt his character and his purposes. Here at Marah, the people of Israel grumbled because they could not drink the water, because it was bitter. In the wilderness of sin, they grumbled because they did not have food and thought that they would die of hunger. And then at Massa and Meribah, we read that the people grumbled and quarrelled because they did not have enough, they did not have water to drink, and they thought that they would die of thirst. Grumbling causes us to have this warped perspective, doesn't it? It, uh, you know, the the uh, when we sort of start to focus on all of our our troubles and our trials, that grumbling it forces us, you know, it sort of changes our whole uh, our whole way we see things. And it's interesting that uh, the, the the grumbling of the people of Israel causes them to uh, to even think that Egypt was such a better place than where they find themselves now, even after God's amazing uh, act of rescue. The other thing with grumbling is, is we find that grumbling is, is, very, is very toxic. It ultimately leads to a hardening of our hearts towards God. Uh, Psalm 95 verses 8 to 9, which is a bit of a commentary on this particular uh, section of Scripture, says, Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. God, through the uh, the psalmist, is saying here that uh, you know because of the people's grumbling, it was showing that they they were had hearts that were hard towards God, and of course this is what grumbling does. Of course, Hebrews three recounts this as well and refers to uh, not just a hardening of hearts, but unbelief in our hearts, and uh, that's another danger that we find when we start to grumble. That grumbling eventually leads to this hardening of heart, and then finally to unbelief. In Exodus 17, Moses says that the people's grumbling and quarrelling actually meant that they were putting, to, putting God to the test. In other words, they put themselves in a position to actually to, to, to judge God by their own standards. They, they put God on trial. They assumed that they knew better than God and that he, that he had in some way failed them. Instead of having faith, the people themselves are faithless. And folks, this is what our grumbling does. It proves that we really doubt God and doubt his ways. We demonstrate by our grumbling that we don't actually believe that God is trustworthy or good. And of course, that can ultimately lead us to turn our backs on him and reject him. And for the Israelites, it would mean that they would ultimately, because of their grumbling and their rebellion against God, that they would perish there in the wilderness. You know, as you read through this section, you cannot help but think of how ungrateful and foolish the people of Israel are here. 
In fact, he might even go so far as to think that God would be perfectly within his rights to wash his hands of them, you know, to let them die of thirst or hunger there in the wilderness because of their ingratitude. However, it's in these particular situations that we see the gospel so wonderfully displayed, that God does not treat us according to our sins or as as we deserve, but instead what he does is he lavishes his grace and his mercy and his blessing on those who rebel against him. And that's an ama- that's, that's the, the, the amazing wonder of the gospel. And that leads us then to our third point this morning as we work through this to, together. And that is that this we find in this uh, time, it's at a time of God's gracious provision. So not only is it a time of testing for the people, a time where we see them grumbling, but we see it as a time of God's gracious provision on their behalf. You know, here in in, uh, in 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 Exodus 15, I should say, at Marah, the people grumbled against Moses and they asked him, what shall we drink? What shall we drink? And what they're effectively saying is that, Moses, what is God going to do about our situation? I mean, we demand action. We want our comfort and our safety and our security to be restored here, Moses. Well, Moses we read, cries out to God and, and shows him a log. And, uh, and, and, and if you look down in your footnotes in your Bible, you might actually see that the, the, uh, there's another term for that term, log, and it is tree, that God shows Moses a tree and Moses puts that tree into the water or throws it into the water and we read that the water then suddenly becomes sweet enough to be able to drink, that the people are able to then drink the water, that life-giving water comes here in this particular instance through a tree of course this tree points us to the tree that christ himself would give his life on in order to remove the bitterness of sin and death and of god's righteous and holy wrath uh, upon them and also enable the the life-giving spirit of god to be poured out on those who put their faith and trust in jesus as savior Uh, you know jesus speaking about this Uh, particular instance again talks about it in john chapter 7 and verses 37 to 39 and i'm sure he's got this kind of passage here in mind where it says on the last day of the feast the great day jesus stood up and cried out and said if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink whoever believes in me as the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water Now we read that this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, but because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus stands up and declares himself to be the the, the living water. And we see this in this passage, that God turns this undrinkable water into a beautiful, fresh, sweet water to drink. And it points us to the wonderful message of the gospel it's a wonderful image of the gospel you know as we go go on into exodus 16 and when the people are in the wilderness wilderness of sin you know, as the people grumble against moses and against god they they do so because they're thinking here we go again we're going to die again but this time we're going to die of hunger but we read that god in his mercy and his grace provided quail at night and manna each morning to feed the people We see that in Exodus 16, verses 13 to 14. Again, allow me to read it to you. And it says, In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. 
And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more and some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Here we see, again, God's wonderful provision. And, uh, you know, with respect to the, uh, the manna, God prohibited the people from gathering more than they could each day. Because if they did, we read that it, will, it goes rotten. In, in Exodus 16, verse 20, just a few verses along, we read that it, gets, uh, it goes horrible and gets infected with worms or maggots, if you like, the next, the next day if they keep it for too long. But there on the day before the Sabbath, though, the people were commanded to gather enough for two days' supply. That God would send the manna on the day prior to the Sabbath, and the people were able to go out and collect enough to get them through not only that, that day, but also for the Sabbath as well. And the manna would indeed stay, stay good for that period of time. You know, in providing uh, the people um, the manna in this way, God was calling on the people to trust him for each day's needs, that he would meet each day's need by his grace. Of course, this brings to mind, I don't know about you, but it brings to my mind that, uh, that line in the Lord's Prayer where we pray, give us this day our daily bread. You know, it, uh, we, we uh, so often want to have, you know, um, so many things sort of sorted out, and, you know, and things planned out and mapped out for a long period of time. We want our security all nailed down and that sort of thing. But God, you know, in his wisdom and in his goodness and in his grace, calls us to trust in him day by day and to ask him to give us each day that which we need for that day. You know, in talking about uh, this, this bread, this provision of bread there in the wilderness, the manna, of course it most significantly uh, reminds us of that uh, teaching about Jesus, of himself there in John chapter 6, where he refers to himself as the bread of life that comes down from heaven. Of course, we're going to just concentrate a little bit more on that when we come to our time of communion at the end of uh, this message this morning. And I hope you're uh, prepared for that. You've come prepared to be able to participate just there in your lounge rooms or wherever you are gathered around uh, the screens to be able to share together in communion this morning. Well, finally then at Rephidim, that's that place which we uh, Moses referred to as Massa and Meribah. This is the third instance the people, believing again that they would die of thirst, we see them grumbling against Moses and God, and in fact quarrelling against Moses. We see that in Exodus 17, verses 2 to 3. But God says to Moses, Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And of course, having drunk, that the people will then live. Now, as we look at that particular, uh, those couple of verses, let me ask you this. What was it that Moses was to strike? Of course, it was the rock that he was to strike. 
But as you read through it, where was God at this particular point? God said that he would be there on the rock. In other words, God would allow himself to be struck in order to bring that life-giving water to the people, to bring them life. Now, there's a wonderful commentary on, on, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 4, which I want to encourage you uh, to go and have a look at, perhaps uh, later this morning after we've finished our time together. Perhaps uh, you, uh, you might reflect on that. But again, the Apostle Paul is very much giving commentary on this particular passage, that Jesus himself is that rock, the one who was struck on our behalf in order to, uh, to give us life. Of course, what an incredible picture of what Christ endured on the cross on our behalf, isn't it? Jesus himself in Matthew 26, 31, saying to, he's saying to his disciples when he's referring to his death, said, the shepherd would be struck and the sheep, of course, would be scattered, referring to the disciples abandoning Jesus there when he was arrested and then tried and crucified. Of course, the passage that stands out to me uh, the most about the striking of the shepherd and I'm sure many of you will agree, is found in Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 6, where it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, or struck by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. It goes on to say, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Folks, this passage teaches us that we as God's people are ourselves travelling through the wilderness, so to speak. You know, having been rescued from slavery to sin and death at the point where we trusted God as our saviour, we are now on our, our journey, if you like, to God's rest, to his eternal kingdom, that promised land, if you like. But it is here in the wilderness in which we find ourselves that we know, we find that we are going to be faced with all kinds of trials and hardships, of challenges and threats. Of course, some of those will be brought about by our own foolishness, our own decisions and our own uh, you know, ways of, of going about, you know, following our own wills and purposes. But some of these times will very much come about as the, the, the direct hand of God in order to test the genuineness and quality of our faith and with God's purpose, of course, to grow us in our faith. And through that, to reveal in us and through us his amazing grace and his marvellous glory. You know, we have the choice then, don't we, to, uh, to uh, you know, in, when we're faced with these sort of circumstances in our lives, to either respond with grumbling, that is, to, to doubt God and his goodness, to perhaps even rebel against his hand, or, to, or we can quietly trust instead to bring our needs before him, like Moses did in prayer when the people you know, rebelled and when they grumbled and complained to Moses. Moses, his, his initial response is always to take it straight to God in prayer. And that should be our uh, first response in all these situations as well, to bring our needs before God, our Heavenly Father, knowing that He hears us, that He cares for us, and that He is concerned for us and our well-being. 
And of course, as we bring our needs to him in prayer, we can find, you know, a wonderful comfort in the knowledge that God has indeed saved us and therefore he will not let us perish. And so we need to remember his promises. I mean, promises like we find in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, where we've been looking at this, you know, the last, uh, the last little while, uh, the last few weeks, actually, we've mentioned this on numerous occasions, where it says, He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not, along with him, graciously give us all things? You know, God did not withhold that which was most precious to him. So if he's given us his son in order to redeem us and rescue us, then surely he will take care of all our other needs as he sees fit. And of course, that beautiful passage in Philippians 4.19, which I know is a favourite of many of you, where it says, And my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So I try to challenge you, uh, you know, this week, perhaps, uh, you know, as you face some difficulties, and I know that many of you have faced all kinds of challenges, particularly in these past few weeks with the uh, coronavirus and all the restrictions and things and all of the having to learn from home and work from home with, with that some of you are doing, uh, the isolation that's come about and perhaps the loneliness that some people are feeling and the other challenges that, that come with that. I just want to encourage you that when you're faced with these challenges in your, in your circumstances, that perhaps instead of, of grumbling and perhaps of, instead of complaining about these sorts of things, that uh, you might indeed just bring them before God, knowing that God is the God who cares for you, who loves you. He has given his son in order to redeem you, purchase him for himself, purchase you for himself, and to draw you and bring you into his family where you can experience the wonderful blessing of knowing his ongoing daily care and provision for you in your life. You know, when it comes to grumbling, it reminds us that we are indeed a forgetful people. We forget about how God has acted in the past and we forget how good God is and we, give, we often forget his character and how he has promised to respond to us. But praise God and an hallelujah to him that we have indeed a faithful God. As the passage, as the uh, the title of this message is today, we may be a forgetful people, but God is a faithful God. Amen and amen. Well, folks, let me uh, lead us again just in a short time of prayer, and then uh, you might like to uh, prepare yourself as we come together this morning to share around uh, the, uh, the elements of communion together there in your homes. Let me pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message to us this morning that comes through a very large portion of scripture, but very much there's some really just some very key uh, points that comes out of this, Lord, that, uh, that there is very much times of testing that come in our lives and that uh, there are times, Lord, where you yourself are the one who is behind that testing. For you indeed want to, uh, to see the character and quality and the, and the genuineness of our faith and trust in you. But Lord, uh, we also recognise that, uh, that, Lord, you do it for a purpose, and that is to strengthen us and build us up in our faith. And Lord, to, just, to um, just bring us back to that, 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 that wonderful, uh, close, intimate dependence upon you for every aspect of our lives. Father, we are people who think that, you know, we've got many things under control in our lives, but I think we've seen just in these past uh, weeks and, and, and few months 
that uh, these circumstances are very much beyond our control. But we thank you, that Lord, that you are indeed sovereign, that you are working out your will and your purposes in our lives. And we thank you that we can call you our Father and know that you will indeed, that you have promised to meet our needs each and every day. But we pray, Lord, that uh, that as we um, you know go throughout this week, particularly, and uh, we we pray, Lord, that you might just help us to uh, have that wonderful assurance afresh today of knowing that uh, that you are with us and that you are for us, and that Lord, that we can trust you no matter what. And we thank you and praise you uh, for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.